0: I was thinking last Sunday that I was, going to be, I was going to be preaching today, and I thought I should just talk with the tech team and ask them to play Pastor Sean's sermon on Psalm 139 from last week. That will be the best thing I can do. Honestly, what a beautiful and powerful sermon we heard, and please do yourself a favor and Either listen it for the first time or just listen to it again. What a titanic sermon. What a gift for our lives, for our souls. And what a beautiful gift from the Lord is when a faithful servant just exposed the word to his people. So we can hear what God has to tell us, to say to us. So please Listen to that again, it was so beautiful, and praise the Lord that in this church we have that blessing of being exposed to God's word every Sunday. Well, today we'll be in the Apostle Apostle Luke account in chapter nine, and we'll be talking about discipleship. And discipleship is probably the aspect that I'm, in the Christian life, that I'm most passionate about. And I'm sure the reason why is that? Is because of the intervention, the intervention of a faithful men, who decided to disciple him, confronted with my sin, confronted with my double life, and brought me slowly to a place of repentance and submission to God's authority, kingship, and lordship. This brother didn't probably have the most polished methods. He was attending a different church at the time, and he told me one day, "Hey." says is someone discipling you?" And this was my first semester in college. And I answered, no. And he said to me, okay, I'll see you next Friday at my house at 6 p.m. And I said, well, you know, I can't. I have something going on on Friday. To which he answered, well, the problem here is that I'm not asking you. I'm telling you, I'll see you Friday, 6 p.m. at my house. And he left. There was so much authority in the attitude and on the thing that he said that I canceled whatever I had that Friday, and I was punctually there that Friday at 6 6 p.m. at his house. That ended up becoming a weekly meeting for three years with this brother that invested in my life. And that changed so many things in my life and had a, such a long, a lifelong impact that I, I can't explain and I'm thankful for. Also, I, I would love to say that I, I have had the opportunity to serve alongside amazing brothers and sisters here at the youth ministry at Crossway. And for the last two plus years, we have been talking about, and the emphasis has been on discipleship. We are encouraging these students to become disciples Of Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about something that is so important and so massive in the Christian life, but sometimes we take it really lightly. Sadly, a lot of churches all over the world have a lack when it comes to discipleship. A lot of churches have put a lot of strength and power and work in the idea of evangelism. But in a non-biblical concept or idea of evangelism. Because the confrontation of sin, the call to repentance, and the exposition of Jesus' atoning work is incomplete if we don't teach them to observe all that the Lord has commanded us. That's what the passage, the passages that we know as the Great Commission talk about. A fundamental aspect of living at this Of being a disciple and living the Christian life as a disciple is to make disciples. So today we're going to be studying about biblical discipleship, true discipleship, and the paradox of it. And we will consider two main points. The meaning of biblical discipleship in verse 23 will be in Luke 9. So in verse 23, we'll be talking about the meaning of biblical discipleship. And verses 24 to 26, we'll be talking about the paradox. Of biblical discipleship now just to give a little bit of context in Luke 8 Jesus was teaching in parables he was explaining to his disciples the purpose of this teaching style he performed miracles such as calming the storm healing people he bring a little girl back from death in chapter 9 he sends the disciples to different towns around to preach the good news he fed a multitude and let's start reading in chapter 9, verse 18, so we can get some context to this morning. And now it happened that he was praying alone, and the disciples with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others that one of the prophets of all had risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged them, charged and commanded them to tell these to no one, saying, "The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and on the third day be raised." And he said to all, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself." And take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever who saves his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if, if he gains the whole world and loses or forgets himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Let's pray. And Father God, we come before you asking for your blessing, asking, Father, that you will teach us, that you will speak to us about what is the real meaning, what is the true meaning of biblical discipleship. Father, we know that we have been called to repentance, but we have been called to be your disciples. It's not just about conversion and going to heaven, but it's about a life that has to pour out everything that is in it for your glory. Father, help us to understand this. Help us to live our Christian lives in this way, and help us, Father, to serve you in the best way we can. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, Jesus gained a lot of popularity. People were following him from distant places. People were coming to him to be healed or for these miraculous fittings. And he gained reputation. And people talked about this teacher from Nazareth. So, the Lord Jesus asked his disciples a really important question. Who do the crowds say that I am? And the apostles reported to him what people were saying, But we read in verse 19 that he asked one of the most important, crucial questions someone could ever ask. This is the most fundamental question someone could ask you, any human being. But who do you say that I am? There is no more important, more revealing and deciding question than this one. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? The answer to this question has lifelong implications. But also it has eternal implications. This question and the answer to this question is the most important thing you can ever think about. And Peter answered this beautiful answer, the Christ of God. Matthew's account says that Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter is making here a huge confession of faith. Jesus himself said to Peter, this was revealed to you. Meaning, Peter, you didn't got this yourself. This was given to you. Peter's declarations implies that Jesus is God himself, the promised king who will be seated in David's throne. He's the seed of the woman that will come and crush the serpent's head. Peter is making a massive declaration that triggers then Jesus' announcement of how the redemptive plan is going to unfold. Jesus, the promised one, will be rejected by the very ones who had the responsibility to identify the Messiah and then lead the people to follow him. Not just that, but they later will plot with the Roman officers to kill him. Now, it's after this declaration that Jesus will take them and talk to them about discipleship. The concept of following a teacher was not foreign in the ancient world. Still, Jesus will introduce a different type of discipleship and different implications in life and for their eternal futures. He will introduce a a lifestyle, not just a class to take, not just a knowledge to receive, but a lifestyle that will affect every single thing from the inside out. Most teachers recruiting followers here were, were offering political change, revolution, knowledge, but Jesus Christ offered them death. This is such an unpopular offer if you want people to follow you. The main reason why people should follow Christ, even with what He's offering is death, is Peter's declaration. And the narrative goes, and the Lord Jesus will teach them the meaning of the true discipleship in verse 23. And this is our first point this morning. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Again, we're reading the Gospels that some people approach Christ and ask him to follow him. And Jesus always answered them, talking about the difficulties of being a disciple. Well, verse 23 says that he was talking to several people. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me. So Jesus is going to introduce a conditional statement. If anyone wants to follow me, if anyone wants to be my disciple, then he or she will have to meet a requirement pay a cost, and take action. So let's break verse 23 in three main aspects. Let deny himself is meeting a requirement. Take up his cross daily is paying the cost. Follow me is taking action. Let him deny himself meeting the requirement. Let him deny himself means giving up everything. The false teachers today are saying that you have to live your best life here and now. That this life, this world, is about you. There is nothing more important than you, according to these teachers. This world and its agendas teach everyone that our identities, our desires, and what we want is the most important thing and we need to live our lives to receive or accomplish whatever we want. The self in our culture is a prominent idol of our day. And it has been forever. But now it seems that it's, more, it's, it's a little bit more open than ever before. The sexual revolution has found in the self the best ally. Anything natural to people which helps them to defy their identities, should not be just allowed or encouraged according to our culture. Anything that your entitlement or pride demands is automatically correct because it serves the person the best. And then Jesus comes with the most controversial statement in our day saying, deny yourself. Based on Peter's declaration is that we can say to confess Christ we must deny self. Please note that in a certain level Jesus has been always popular. There's always been people saying that they love him that they want to hear from him but they just love the tender and kind savior and redeemer but they reject the King, and the Lord. And the reason why is because he demands all from you. He's asking for your entire life, but not just what you do, but he's asking for who you are. Jesus came to fulfill God's plan, and he did encounter hostility and great suffering. How come his followers expect less? In this context, to deny oneself was to set aside relationships, extended family, origin, the inner circle of friends, or, or anything that will make up the identity. By radical self denial, then, is meant the openness to construct a new holy identity based on Christ, not on culture, not on ethnic. Origins, not on relationships, but just in the new community centering God and that is resolved to the faithful message of Jesus Christ. We must understand that self is an insatiable master that will always demand more and more. There is no possible way to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ if we are enslaved by the dominion of oneself. Dear brothers and sisters and friends, if you want to be a true disciple of Jesus, surrender and deny yourself. A second aspect of the meaning of true discipleship, of biblical discipleship, is take up his cross daily paying the cost. Tick up his cross daily implies that there is a price that has to be paid daily for the future disciple of Jesus. In the Gospels, we can read different stories about different people who came to Jesus asking to be his disciples. You remember the scribe who wanted to follow him in Matthew 18, 19-20. And Jesus answered Foxes have holes and birds' nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You also know the story of the rich man, that he kept the law righteously in his own understanding, and he was asking what he lacked. And Jesus pressed on him, asking to sell all that he owned, give it to the poor, and follow him. And what we read in this account is that this young man went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Think about this. This is someone who thought he was righteous before the law. And when he was confronted with the cost of discipleship, he had to depart sorrowfully, for he owned much. When we are confronted with the idea that we need to take up our crosses, we usually think of the things we have to leave behind as Christians. We have to sacrifice time or entertainment or material stuff or rest, our own personal time. But taking up our crosses daily means, and if we think in the context of the gospel, means that we are already dead. The death penalty was upon those forced to carry their cross on their way to the capital execution. Taking your cross, taking off your cross daily means knowing that as a discipleship, that as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to die to yourself. You are dead to this world, you are dead to sin you're dead to your own life. But the main difference is that those who were condemned were forced to take their crosses. The disciple does that willingly. The procession from the site from sentencing to the, pra- to the place of crucifixion was a walk of shame, of public derision. Even though we are before a metaphor that Luke is using The meaning and deepness of the statement demands from the disciple to understand the solemn request that we are called to fulfill. So this price to pay reinforces the meaning of the first requirement, deny yourself. And then he adds, take a daily attitude of taking up your cross. The sacrifice is the lifestyle. And the lifestyle lifestyle transforms everything that a person does. Go with me to Romans 12, 1 and 2, and probably you know these verses by heart. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's asking us to live our lives as sacrifice, as living sacrifice, to be renewed in our minds, and not to take the shape of this world, but to be transformed. Taking our crosses, he's accepting that we have to fight back against the world when it is trying to give us his shape, that we must discern God's will. The Lord is not playing games. You need to live out in the power of the Spirit a life that glorifies Christ, paying the price to be a disciple. He's demanding all. He doesn't want a part of your attention, a part of your heart, a part of your commitment. He wants all. He wants it all. And I think you will agree with me, he deserves it all. Follow me, taking action. Follow me means that we're not the architects of our own path. That we're not free to make our own plan to design our own plan and it feels constraining and that's how discipleship should feel that's how following a master should feel it has become more popular to take away from the gospel those aspects that sound too harsh or too difficult for people we will talk more about these being a shame of Jesus' words in verse 26, but for now, we can say that Jesus never watered down the message of the gospel. He never told them something that will sound less difficult or less harsh, but he laid out the full cost of discipleship. To follow Christ is a life of servanthood and sacrifice. It's a life for the glory of God. Jesus is asking us to live out what he set up as an example for us. To follow our master is to trust him, to abide in him, to walk in the same way he did to obey him. Please consider that this is not a chronological order, but a logical order. The gospel here is saying is not that the followers will practice first denying themselves for a while and then take up their crosses for a while and then follow him. But these three actions show true conversion and it follows a life of sanctification. The Lord always called to his service busy people. Jesus himself called the disciples when they were either fishing or at the taxes table. He never waited for them. He never waited for them to be on a break, on a lunch break, or on vacation. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not just for retired people, or people who are done with work, or done with school. But it's for people that are in that moment of their life, in their busyness of life, that's where the Lord is calling them. Don't delay becoming a disciple. If you're busy, now is the time. Jesus is calling now. We understand that it's our responsibility as followers, but also we know that we can't accomplish this in our own strength. It's impossible. It's the Holy Spirit work that regenerates us. If we can do this, it's because of God's grace upon us. The meaning of true discipleship is to gain Christ, and to gain Christ demands the loss of self. Now, the Lord Jesus will talk about these paradoxes, or or will contrast the, what the biblical discipleship entails. And that's our second point this morning. The paradox of these are flesh in the next three verses, which will build this argument of gain and loss. To gain Christ demands to lose the self. Christ stressed here here, the fertility of centering on the self And he states both ways in verse 24. Those who wish to save their life by yielding to the ways of getting ahead in the world will ultimately lose it. They will be applauded by the world and they will have temporary pleasure, but they will lose Christ and eternal life. On the other hand, whoever loses their life for Christ will end up saving it. The paradox is that in the desire of preserving life, you will lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life for Christ, and even if you end up losing your life for Christ, you have indeed saved it. Losing one's life refers both to self-denial and to suffering and martyrdom. Embracing Christ's path of suffering and sacrifice will result in eternal reward. The next verse explains that the gain is partial, the loss is total. Verse 24, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Verse 24 is clear, telling us that the person who fears losing this life and works in all his power to save it will end up losing it. And this is deeply connected with verse 23. If someone is willing to to save their life, in the end they are trying to save the self. These passages are clearly talking about, not, they're not talking about becoming reckless and trying to put our lives in danger, but it's understanding that saving their life for themselves and finding pleasure in this life, if someone tra- treasures their life in this way and treasures the richness of this world in that way, he will lose all. He will end up losing it all. We know that Christians lost persecution in the early church. And because of this persecution, thousands of believers suffered and were killed in public for defending their faith. If we put things in perspective, our our lives are so brief. We feel deep attachment to our lives because it's what we know. And I understand that at times it's so difficult to have an eternal perspective about our lives. It's so difficult sometimes to remember that our lives are for the Lord Jesus Christ. That we don't even understand how amazingly beautiful the eternity with the Lord will be. We are always trying to ensure what we know because Our brokenness, with our brokenness, is so difficult to understand and put things on the eternal perspective. Saving our lives is possible according to this passage, but it has to be in a way of putting your life in the service to the Lord. And when you lose your life, you will have secured. Your life in the power, in the grace of the Lord. It's in his powerful hands that your life has been secured. Not on your your strength or your efforts. The paradox is so clear here. In the desire of preventing this life of sin and brokenness will end up in losing everything. But if we set our lives to the service to the Lord... We will gain our lives. He gives us the life. He guarantees our lives. Verse 25 presents another paradox that contrasts our broken view of this temporal life with the beautiful experience of eternal life. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses him for, his, for himself? We will think it's foolish for someone in order to save material resources or richness if they put their lives in danger. And that's exactly what this passage is talking about. What profit comes from someone gaining the whole world and losing himself? Why would someone do that? There is no logic. It makes no sense to lose himself in order to gain richness and treasures. The Lord is telling his disciples, try to fight for oneself. Trying to achieve what this life offers is foolish. When you recognize that there's no profit, no gain, you will lose eternity. You will lose eternal life. That debt that Christ was offering and offers today to anyone who is willing to become a disciple, is that in this that is is to embrace, to have eternal life. He's dying to this world, is dying to this life in order to gain eternal life. In verse 26, Christ finalizes the choices in we can say apocalyptic terms. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I believe at least personally that the only way to fully embrace my life as a true disciple of Christ is when I put things into eternal perspective. The earthly choices in the end, will bring heavenly realities. What we do in this earth will bring heavenly, eternal realities. And this expands in, the terms of, in terms of loyalty from verses 24 to 25 and embraces two nuances. A preference for worldly gain and status involves a rejection of Christ and being ashamed of his life and service and sacrifice. Also, when one is suffering for Christ and experience persecution of this world, one can be ashamed of him in order to be accepted by this world and stop the suffering. The judgment that Jesus is talking in 9.22, that is the center of what verse 26 is saying. Not on the sufferings of Christ, but in his vindication and victory over his enemies in the last judgment. When Christ gets exalted as the Lord, and someone is ashamed of him, that takes a way more dangerous tone. For it means he puts them, the Lord will put them, into shame, pouring eternal judgment on those who have become his enemies, on those who were ashamed of him. And probably you remember the passage in John 6, 60 to 68. And if you want to join me there, please go to John sixty. Uh, John 6, sorry, verses 60 to 68. I'm not going to read it, But we're going to see two types of disciples, the true ones, and the ones who follow him temporarily with not a deep commitment to Christ. In chapter 6, the Lord is declaring himself as as the bread of life. And some of those untrue disciples said, "This this is hard saying. Who can listen to it? And you guys can read, the, the Lord responded, do you take offense at this? And their response is that they turned their backs and not longer walked with him. Please consider what I said before, how many methods or styles of preaching the gospel do they consider to be careful about what we say of being a disciple. What if we're too harsh and people don't want to be followers of Christ? What if our methods are too radical, our message is too radical? Look at Jesus' response to these disciples turning their backs to him. Now he turns back to the 12 and asks them, do you want to go as well? Jesus was not afraid of losing more disciples. We don't see that he compromises and says, hey guys, I'm sorry. Probably it was too harsh. Let me rephrase that. But a group of untrue disciples turn their backs and Jesus' response is to ask to the 12 that left, do you want to leave too? I don't know if you guys have a saying, but in Mexico we say, the door is wide and open. That's Jesus' response to these untrue disciples. But here what the true disciple answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I just love that we can read on this sermon these two beautiful declarations of the Apostle Peter. You are the Christ, and you have words of eternal life. A true disciple understands that gaining Christ is gaining everything. This is the anchor In his glory. This is anchored in the glory of God. When he comes in his glory, says verse 26 when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels, is this apocalyptic glory referring to this glorious second coming and the final judgment? A judgment in which the angels will be involved as harvesters and witnesses in the heavenly court. Dear sisters and brothers, as a church, as believers, we will fail if we don't understand that our lives have to be of true and passionate disciples. Our calling also is to make disciples. That means to preach the gospel to the unbelieving world but also to help others to follow Jesus Christ discipleship is not about methods or strategy but intentional passionate lives that desire with a burning fire to walk alongside others preaching Christ and help him help them to follow Christ We don't disciple and we don't live disciple lives individually. With some brothers and sisters, we can meet on a regular basis on -on one-on-one, but there's other ways to disciples. We don't disciple everyone in the same way. When we preach the word, when we expose the word, we're helping in the process of discipleship. When we support someone in their trials, we're We're following uh, Christ and we're helping them to follow Christ. This is to exercise the calling for being a disciple. We're helping others to follow and obey and trust. Jesus Christ is not about the program. It's about your life. You can graduate from being a disciple. There's no ending point. please consider being that person who crashes into someone else's life with an intense and intentional friendship in Christ to grow together as disciples. We need each other. We need each other to grow. Our natural tendency is to defend our lifestyle, is to defend our privacy, to be interrupted as, less as, as least as possible. But the Christian life it's really uncomfortable, and that's how it should be. Don't assume that I can live my Christian life on my own. Don't assume that I have it all together, but be willing to interrupt my peaceful life and shake it with the beautiful discomfort of a fellow believer who wants to help me to be more like Jesus Christ and have that desire for your own lives too. No one in the history of the Christian church has a perfect record of denying himself, taking up his cross, and following Jesus with no mistakes. It's our calling to be good disciples, but part of being a good disciple is to help others as well. You can't be a good disciple on your own. We need to develop a discipleship culture in our church, in our small groups, in our families, but we have to start with our hearts. We do what we do. We have intentional conversation with others. We ask for help. We ask if we can help. We can't leave our, our, our trial, trials through isolation. Please show your vulnerability. Pray for a discipleship culture in your hearts, in your lives, in your church. And so many people say, Well, but I don't know how to do that. How do I pray for a discipleship culture in my church, in my life, in my heart? I'm going to tell you how. You do this. Lord, please develop a discipleship culture in my church, in my family, in my heart. Amen. It's pretty simple. It's not that difficult. See, disciple life, discipleship, is hard, it's intense, but it's beautiful, it's worth it. For a reason that I still don't understand, I've, I got convinced to go skiing And everyone whom I told this assumed that I was going to visit the ER. (laughs) And it makes sense. But there's two things that people that were teaching me told me. And I believe that's the heart of discipleship. Someone told me, I will do it at first, follow me. Look what I'm doing and do the same. And you know what? I tried. And I failed. And that person came by my side and said, look again. Let me think how I can explain this better for you. Now, do this. Move your body like this. Follow me. And I did that. And then we got to a bigger mountain. And I was panicking, as I should. And someone said to me, I'm going by your side. And I was like, but there's a lot of people. What if I crash with one of them? And that person said, don't worry. If you crash, you will crash with me. I will cover you. You will crash with me. Don't worry. Go. And you know what happened? We crashed. But knowing that someone was there, to know that I was about to crash, but coming fast enough to make me crash with that person so I didn't hurt anyone else, that's the heart of discipleship. It's knowing that living as a disciple is not an easy thing to do. It's difficult. It goes against our nature. It goes against our culture. It goes against our world. But it's knowing that someone is willing to crash with you. Help you to stand up and say, follow me again. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow Jesus. Put your earthly life to death for the sake of Christ. And as you do that, allow others to help you and help others. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. There's nothing that we do that we can do without you. Father, thank you because in your mercy and grace you sent Jesus Christ for us. He accomplished your redemptive plan. You were you, you were glorified by Christ every single second. And Father, you're so good that you made us partakers of that beautiful story. And Father, you're calling us to be disciples of your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we know it's hard. We know it's difficult. We know it goes against everything we know and everything we like. But Father, give us a heart for discipleship. Transform our lives to the lives of true disciples. And Father, when everybody turned their back, keep us faithful. We love you because we know you have loved us first. And it's in your grace that we have the faith to know that you're listening to us, that you hear our prayers. And it's in that hope and it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray this morning. Amen.